Well, it's good to be here and thank the Assembly for their kind invitation to speak about a little of what the Lord is doing in the country of Angola. You certainly know how to make the missionary sweat before he gets up. I thought, are they ever going to start praying today? Well, thank you for your prayer, brother. 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, please. Just read a few verses from the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. Verse 5. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. These are good verses to remind ourselves of before we speak about what the Lord is doing. And so, at the end of this report meeting today, if there's any praise and thanksgiving in your heart for what the Lord is doing, well then it is not of man, it is of God who has given the increase. Now I am very, very conscious that maybe many of you in this room tonight, this afternoon, have never heard of a place called Angola the little snippets that I've caught from conversations held have indicated that many people don't even know where Angola is. And uh, I trust that map there will give you some idea that it borders the country of Zambia and the Democratic Republic of Congo and Namibia. Uh, And it has long since been a very forgotten country, although it has been mightily blessed of God in the Gospel. The political situation in Angola today is changing. Angola has experienced 40 years of bloodshed and war. From 1969 to 1975, the Angolans were seeking to gain their independence from their Portuguese colonial masters. And So the war really started in 1969 and they were successful in 1975 when the Portuguese occupiers left. And then from 1975 through to 2002 there was a civil war and it was a vicious and a long bloody civil war. Successive United States administrations financially backed the UNITA rebel movement and the former Soviet Union backed the MPLA government. And these two world powers used Angola as their battleground as they sought to um, put their ideology in place in the heart of Africa. And so when the former Soviet Union collapsed The US government at that time swapped their allegiance and abandoned the UNITA rebel movement and invested in the government. 
of Angola, Angola, which was uh, MPLA, the People's Movement for the Liberation of Angola. Now eventually, after many years, the Angolan rebels were starved into submission and in 2002, the uh, government of Angola, they discovered where the remainder of the UNITA troops were hiding. They had operated a scorched earth policy and they had moved the whole population out of the villages and into the towns. There was no crops growing and therefore the UNITA troops that were in the bush were starving to death. And then eventually they discovered where they were and there was a big gunfight and Jonas Savimbi, the rebel leader, was killed in battle and within days the country came into a period of sustained peace, peace which we are enjoying to this day. And so it has a long bloody history of war. Now while the Portuguese were in power in Angola they neither trained or equipped any Angolan in any way and consequently when the Portuguese left Angola there was a big um, brain drain and there was nobody left to run the country, the hospitals, the education system. Coupled with that there was those many years of war when the Angolans started fighting amongst themselves. And the country just spiralled down into decay and destruction uh, so different to their neighbouring country of, of Zambia which has known sustained peace for many, many years. And so with these 40 years of war has left generations without an education. Illiteracy is rampant. Moral and social skills have been lost and those who visit us from neighbouring African countries like Zambia or Botswana are immediately struck by the brutality, the crudeness and open immorality that marks Angolan society today. And so the war, and many years of war, in which Angola was used as the battleground for the furtherance of democracy, has really suffered and continues to bear the scars to this day. And it is interesting really that democracy didn't ever come from the West at all, despite the West and their ambitions, eventually um, the Angolans had to sort the problem out themselves. We moved to Angola in 1995. We were commended by our local assembly uh, in Hellions Bumstead, and you've got some pretty funny places here in, in, in America. So there is such a place called Hellions Bumstead in, in England. We're a strange lot. And uh, we were commended in 1993 and we went to Portugal and learned the Portuguese language. And we spent two years there and then moved on to Angola. And the Lord preserved us through some pretty scary situations. Looking back, they were pretty scary, I suppose. And Psalm 91 is a very, very precious psalm to us as we prove the reality of God's preserving hand through uh, war and uh, distresses of numerous kinds. The war came so close to our house that uh, our house and the grounds of our house were shaking. The boys, we have two boys, they grew up with the sounds of gunfire, 
explosions, artillery fire, and yet through it all God has preserved us and uh, brought us home from those experiences and preserved us mentally, physically, spiritually, and God is so, so very faithful. And I want to encourage you younger folk here in the meeting today that to give your very best years to the Lord. I felt like I wanted to say a hearty amen to what a brother was saying in our first session this morning about not giving God the leftovers of your life. Give him the very best and prove that God is faithful and he truly has been very faithful to us in the 20 years or so that we have served him in Angola. And so my wife taught the boys out in Angola um, but we returned to the United Kingdom for their secondary education in 2003 uh, when Alex was 13 years of age. And since 2003 to the present day I've been going to Angola four times a year, I've done over 50 visits to the country and uh, God willing in the not too distant future my wife and I will be going back out again there full time once again. And so since 2002 politically the country is calm but there is mass dissatisfaction with the ruling government. Uh, the first ever elections were held in 2008 and this president has been in power since 1975 and there is a lot of dissatisfaction amongst the younger generation. But what really is saving Angola at the moment is too many people remember the years of bloodshed and too many families are still carrying the scars of losing loved ones and at the present time there is no stomach for war, thankfully. Economically the country is booming. The Chinese, everywhere they are, they're investing in Angola big time and the country is booming. The major towns, the capital city is really getting developed. Oil reserves are enormous. Uh, the largest crude oil producing country in Africa, surpassing even Nigeria. And you can understand why uh, both the Soviet Union and the Americans were interested in Angola because of all the vast reserves of diamonds and uh, oil that they have. And they reckon only 40% of Angola has been explored of their diamond-rich territory. And so Angola is and has got tremendous potential for wealth. Living in Angola today has changed considerably in the last few years since peace has become established and we no longer have to depend on food parcels from the United Kingdom. Food supplies are much easier to, uh, to get. Our fuels, fuel for the generators and the Land Rovers, the vehicles are easily available now. Roads are becoming are increasingly more dangerous as they are becoming made up and the cars are travelling faster. So life is changing dramatically in Angola in the past few years. But as far as the Gospel is concerned, and that's what we're concerned about, isn't it? The Gospel uh, has been mightily blessed by God. We work amongst a tribe called the Choquis. And soon after arriving in Angola, we discovered that a brother would be translating for us and he didn't know where chapter and verse was in his Bible and it gave us the impetus to learn Chokwi and so we set about learning the Chokwi tribal language. 
And we live amongst the Chokwis, and their tribal territories extend into the Congo and into, the, into Zambia. And the gospel has been mightily blessed, particularly amongst the Chokwis. Now, when the war uh, started in 1969, there were over 60 missionaries from the West in Angola, from the so-called Gospel Halls. But that number dramatically diminished and dwindled. And there was 20 mission stations established in that time. And some of my older brothers and sisters will remember pioneers in the Gospel, like Crawford Allison, David Long and George Wiseman, Willie Hastings. And when their work was finished, there was approximately about 350 assemblies established in Angola. Today, there are over 1,300 in existence, principally amongst the Chokwe tribe, and the vast majority of them being in the northeast of Angola. So during the 40 years of war and bloodshed, without any missionary endeavor, because what missionaries there were, and there were only a handful, were confined to the towns and the capital, and they couldn't travel. And so during those 40 years of war, the gospel flourished, and the Lord blessed his word and preserved his work mightily. So today, if you could come to Angola and could visit Angola with us. In most cities, you will notice um, tremendous church attendance. Our nearest town is the town of Sarimo. I'm not sure if it's, you can see it on the map, but the, the nearest town is the town of Sarimo. And there we have 24 local assemblies in the town. Just to give you some idea, the government of Angola, using their terminology, they say that the local assemblies are the second largest denomination, second only to the Roman Catholic Church in Angola. And that gives you a little idea of how vast and of a great work God has done. And indeed, in the northeast of Angola, you could go to numerous villages, and the only church that there would be in existence is the Gospel Hall. Now, the 24 assemblies that we have in the town of Saurimu, the smallest would be 250 in fellowship, and the largest would be over 600 in fellowship. It's hard, perhaps, for us just to get a little minds around the enormity of the work. And so there is a great response, has been and continues to be, a great response to the Word of God. And so, in no way are we being pioneers in Angola today. So forget the missionary with his hard hat and his machete cutting his way through the bush. That is not the situation in Angola today. We are building on a foundation which has been laid by men and women many of whom have gone on to glory and they have laid a firm foundation. But the foundation that they laid has not been built on because the war came in, education was destroyed, no schools were running, and so today we have these hundreds and hundreds of local assemblies, elders who have no education and most of whom cannot read, illiteracy on a vast scale, and uh, great poverty spiritually. And so, the biggest problem that we face in Angola today 
um, despite all the practical logistical issues that mar the work, mar the life, is probably witchcraft. And I might speak about, about that in a little while, or perhaps tomorrow in the will of the Lord, as we have opportunity. And then we have the problem of alcohol, which is always a great curse and stains humanity wherever poverty is. And so the greatest need that we have today in Angola is not the need for doctors or for school teachers, but for preachers of the gospel and teachers of the scriptures. I just want to quote you something here from a guy in England called Richard Paris. He's a journalist. He wrote in the Times newspaper recently. He said this, As an atheist, I truly believe God, I truly believe Africa needs God. Missionaries, not aid, are the solution to Africa's biggest problem. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. That was a man who was brought up on a mission station in Africa. And that is truly what Angola really needs today. A restating of biblical truths and a preaching once again of the gospel. So, of course, if you do that, you need at least one language, the Portuguese language. So, just a little about what the Lord has put into our hands to do for him. From 1995 to 2003, we were living as a family in a little village outside the nearest town of of Saurimu, the the village, rather, of Kamundumbala. And that was uh, a work which was characterised then by consecutive systematic Bible studies with groups of elders and young men from numerous assemblies. Our work was confined because we couldn't travel perhaps 15 or 20 kilometres out of town because the rebel lines were there and the government controlled area was fairly limited. And so our times from 1995 to 2003 we were confined to home really. And we did a a great work in those days and there was a lot of young men taught, elders taught uh, the word of God. It's been our conviction that the biblical method of teaching men who can teach others also is still a scriptural principle which needs to be adhered to and when it is adhered to then local assemblies are established, encouraged, edified, built up and it is a God-given way and Paul exhorts Timothy to do that and would exhort us to do the same today. And you may then pray for that work on the mission field but I wonder are you doing that work in your own local assembly? It's one thing praying for the work abroad but to practice it in your own assembly is even better. So, since 2003 to the present day um, my work has changed somewhat in Angola. It's been our firm conviction that our first mission field are our boys. And so we returned home for their education but they needed to come back to their own culture. The Lord called their mum and dad. They didn't call them. And they needed to come home to their own culture and they needed to hear Bible teaching from someone else other than dad. And uh, we're thrilled to see them going on for the Lord. They're in assembly fellowship with us in Hellions Bumstead. And since the time we've been home, I've been going out to Angola these four times a year. 
and most of those visits have travelled extensively. Now there is peace outside of the cities and into the interior where there is such an overwhelming need amongst so many people. Remote areas such as the Kamashilu, where there are hundreds of assemblies which have been literally starved of Bible teaching for many years. Living in an African hut with the mud walls and mud floors and a grass roof, eating their local food, speaking their language, taking the time to get to them. These things um, demonstrate a care and interest in the well-being of the people and ears are opened and hearts are, are touched and we have seen tremendous responses to the Word of God. It is one of the most refreshing things that we experience in Angola is that whenever the Word of God is preached or taught, there is more often than not a response from the congregation. I'm not going to stand before you this afternoon and tell you how many people have been saved. Experience has told me that the Lord knows those that are His and uh, to leave it with Him. But profession doesn't always mean the possession of eternal life. But numerous, numerous occasions, many, many people have been saved and it's been our joy to see over the years numbers of them going on uh, for the Lord and growing in their spiritual life. We are thankful to the Lord for so many people who've prayed for us as a missionary family. Despite the pressures that we've had, the Lord has kept us together, brought us through experiences, and we're thankful for all his mercies and for his faithfulness. The Lord has been good to us. And if you could remember to pray for the work in Angola, we would be very grateful. At the back of the hall, when you go out, there should be some prayer cards. I don't know if you use prayer cards in Angola, uh, in Ang America, but they're in the back there, and if you would like to take some prayer cards to remember the work, we would be very grateful for your prayers, because the needs are vast. You remember in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, is a really favourite verse of mine, it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers. And so if you come to us on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock, there would be the breaking of the bread meeting, followed by Bible teaching, and then followed by the gospel meeting. And generally speaking, by 12.30 or one o'clock midday, all the meetings are over. You've got to remember in Angola, there is principally in the bush areas, but even in the towns, there are many, many places that do not have electricity. And so if there's any meetings to be held, you've got to do it during the daytime. And then Monday through to Saturday at 6 o'clock in the morning, every morning, there is Bible teaching. As Angola has developed, that early morning meeting is proving to be the time, the opportunity to teach the Scriptures. For many, many years, the pioneer missionaries, they started it and we've continued it to the present day, before anybody goes to work or goes to their fields, everybody comes to the assembly and they hear the scriptures being read. Now the reason for that is, if you look at a congregation of this size, probably in Angola there'd only be about five men who can read. And so in order for the whole congregation to hear the word of God, because they're not going to get it at home, they can't read, is that the brethren who are able to read will have a little rotor. So, Monday morning, one brother would read a chapter from the scriptures. 
He may not be able to give any interpretation, but he'll read the scriptures, close in prayer, and the people have heard the scriptures read, and they will go to their fields and go to work. And that would go right through to Saturday. And the testimony of so many Christians in Angola today is, through the years of bloodshed and war, what kept them together was those early morning readings of scripture. Their halls and their villages were destroyed. They were gathering under mango trees in the fear of their lives in the bush. And they just came at six o'clock because they knew one of their brethren would be there just to stand and read the scriptures. And that has kept many of the Lord's people. But today, with peace in Angola, there is employment coming into the country. People are beginning to get jobs. Schools are functioning. And so 30, 40 year olds are now going to school for the very first time. And in the primary school that we have established in our village, we have men in their late 20s who are at primary school for the very first time. But now, those early morning meetings are particularly used for the, for the teaching of Scripture. And so every morning, you would have two, three, four hundred people gathered for Bible teaching, Monday through to Saturday. And so, on my visits to Angola these days, the morning sessions, Monday through to Saturday, is for Bible teaching. We start at six o'clock, we finish at seven or thereabouts, and we go through the scriptures and teach the word of God. Their response to the scriptures is tremendous. Quite often there would be a response from believers. You're addressing a large congregation. You're touching on issues that you are not aware that there may be problems in the lives of the Lord's people. But as a response of the teaching of the Word of God, frequently there is a response, audible response from people. And they want to stay behind after the meeting and they want to speak to the elders and they want to be restored to the Lord and they want to be helped in, the, in their Christian experience in their lives. And it is a remarkable, remarkable thing to see a ready response to the Word of God. So we thank God for those who, despite their culture and the problems the poverty that they're living in, how responsive they are to the Word of God, not only in the Gospel, but also in the teaching of the Scriptures. What do the meetings look like? Well, African, obviously. But biblical principles should be evident wherever we are in the globe. And I want to underline that in your little minds, please. Biblical principles should be applicable, relevant to wherever we are, in a, whatever culture. And it doesn't change simply because you go to Africa. And it's been our tremendous joy, and continues to be our joy, to see what we would call New Testament church principles, things that we've seen in the New Testament, about how we should gather to the Lord, actually being practiced and flourishing in African culture. It is tremendous to see. So don't think that you can leave these shores and go across to Africa and then change your mindset, because why should you? The Word of God is relevant to any culture. It truly is. And I was hoping at least for one amen from that. And I got one, thank you. I, I'm sick and tired of missionaries who, 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 leave, the, who, who leave our shores and they, all the boxes are ticked. And once they get across to wherever they're going, they sing from a different sing sheet, hymn sheet. And these things actually do happen. So, 
The priesthood of all believers is practised. I have to say it's been our great joy in the locality where we are to see that truth being recovered. It was lost, never practised, or not practised for generations. But we have seen the priesthood of all believers, that truth, being restored, and that has been a tremendous joy to see. And so, the meetings would look just like you would expect them to look like. The sisters would have their heads covered. There would be a reverence. A little longer than what we're used to. You think you try and break bread with 600 people. You have a 25 litre jerry can. Two, three of them perhaps. Of non-alcoholic juice. Why? Because the majority of men who are in fellowship will probably be men who've been saved from drunkenness. And you'd have this enormous great loaf. And sometimes it can take 45 minutes just for the emblems to go round. But in the prayer meeting, at the Lord's Supper, there is always a ready response on behalf of the men to actively take part. And you know, it's something which I think even back in the UK we, we need to readdress how slow we are to come into the presence of God in prayer and in worship. And so there's a, a response and a willingness from the hearts of the Lord's people to, to contribute to the gatherings of the Lord's people. And it's good and it's encouraging to see. Now, locally, we've been based over the years in a little village called Kamundambala. And we've overseen the building of a primary school there. Now, I never went to Africa to build primary schools. Well, in our first years in Africa, we had, before we could even teach the Bible, we had to teach people to read their Bibles. And you'll know that even if you've once, you've taught somebody who's 25 to read, he's going to read very slowly. And it takes a little while to understand what he's reading. And so when peace came to Angola, the elders in the village came to us, in the assembly rather, they came to us and said, we want you to build a school like your first missionary fathers did. And I said, well, when our first missionaries came to Angola, there were no Christians. But now you're the Christians here, and you know, if you want to build a school, we will help you do as much as we can. After a little while of persuasion by the younger Christians there, they started to build. And today we have seven classrooms, and the school has about 500 children enrolled in it from six different villages. We call them preschool. I don't know what it is here. Preschool to year six primary education and uh, we have school teachers, Christians from the assemblies in the town of Saurimo and that is overseen by our sister Ruth Hadley uh, one of our surviving English missionaries who, there in Angola and she does a tremendous work and she really does need your prayers as she serves the Lord out there and through the following of a government curriculum but also teaching English also having Bible lessons. The school is completely run on a basis of faith. The Lord provides for all our needs in the building and the running of that school and the maintenance of it. And through the teaching of Scripture and the preaching of the Gospel in that school, we've seen a number of young people saved, baptised and brought into assemblies, into the assemblies from which they have come from in the surrounding area. And it's proving to be a real blessing 
And so that's tremendous to see. And we're thankful to the Lord for uh, the encouragement that gives and the help that gives to so many people. I just want to mention very briefly a printing work that we have. We, ru- we run a two printing presses, one in the capital, Luanda, and the other in the town of Sarimo near us. They're a thousand kilometres apart. The one on the coast, one in the interior. And uh, that printing work does a tremendous amount of work enabling us to produce gospel leaflets and other literature which we need for the work. And that's been a great help. But please don't think that as I speak of all the encouraging things in Angola that the situation is all rosy. It certainly isn't. And there are some serious problems. The young people, and I guess young people in any culture, they're battling with immorality. But just try and put yourself in the position of these young people who we serve the Lord amongst this young girl in Assembly Fellowship, her uncles, not her parents, but her uncles, are very powerful in her life, most important in her life, more so than her parents. And they're encouraging her to marry, but to marry a young man who can prove he can have children. And his uncles are saying the same thing about a young lady. She's got to prove she, she can bear children. And so culture is forcing young people into sex before marriage. In this Western world, we have contraception and immorality and fornication is hidden. But out in Africa, there is no such contraception. And very quickly, you will see immorality. It's not an issue which is once in a blue moon. It is frequent. Nothing more distressing and heartbreaking to see a young man who's come through Sunday school and into Bible class and is going on well for the Lord and then just succumbs. And he gets a young girl pregnant in the assembly. And what do you do if you're a spiritual elder? What do you do? What many elders do who are not spiritual, many of these elders will say, well, the culture says, what our culture says, as chokwees, they've got to marry. And that relationship has to be maintained throughout the pregnancy because if 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 there's a miscarriage then that young man is responsible. And so many, many of these young people are forced into that marriage. And when the baby's weaned at two years of age, their marriage just breaks. And you've got a 15-year-old girl with a baby, a single mum. You've got two young Christians, their lives and their testimonies marred. And it's happening very frequently. And you need to address those issues. And one of the greatest ways is through discipleship courses, meeting with these young Christians, praying with them regularly, going through the scriptures, encouraging them. But even so, so many will fall. I've already mentioned alcohol. What a curse it is to society. Great problems with drunkenness in Angola. Issues that we have to deal with. I already mentioned one of the ways the elders feel that they can help men and women to continue to abstain from it would be not to have alcoholic drink there at the Lord's Supper. I don't know what you believe. You can have all the boxes ticked when you're sitting in the Gospel Hall. But get out into the real world of Africa and then you'll see some of these issues need to be readdressed. 
Well, one of the big problems we have, and I've mentioned already, is a matter of witchcraft. Now, one of our assembly, one of our elders in our assembly, well known and respected in the whole province, had one of his grand- granddaughters in our school. She was 14 years of age, and then suddenly one day. She just dropped dead. And so the family, who were unbelievers, decided to call the diviner. Now, I don't know if you know much about the diviner, but those of you who are familiar or remember the Lion King movie, you remember the little monkey had a divining basket and he would shake his little basket and out of that basket were feathers and sticks and shells and he's the diviner. But they've made him look very romantic and quaint and cute. But that man is very powerful in Africa. And in our village we have four diviners. And he divined, and the way those things lay on the ground, he could tell who had the witchcraft. And the finger of accusation was pointed at one of our elders in the assembly. Luciano was his name. And so the family came and took him and beat him. He's probably about 80. Beat him severely, stripped him naked, tortured him. And under torture, this dear man, he confessed to killing his granddaughter with witchcraft. And they took him to his little hut, and he took out of his little African hut the witchcraft that he had tied together. And in order that the spell of witchcraft may be broken, they forced this dear man publicly to commit another act of gross immorality in public with another granddaughter. So that the spell may be untied. And they said to him, you're not going to die today, but the next person in our family who dies, we don't go to the diviner, we kill you. I was away up, in the village, in a village near the DRC in November when I had a phone call on my little mobile phone, on my sat phone actually it was, and somebody told me there's problems back in the assembly at Kamundambala. Another grandson, this time, lad, playing football, healthy boy, suddenly dropped dead. And Luciano the grandfather, he had to attend the funeral and he went to the funeral and he was there during the funeral wake. Sunday morning he came and broke bread at the assembly, deeply upset, he and his wife, and a number of the brothers sat with him and read the scriptures and prayed with him, but he knew what was coming. And at half past twelve that day he went back to his house just next door to the Gospel Hall. And he sat there. And he waited. At half past seven in the evening, a vehicle came through the village. Three grandsons. They went into the house and in cold blood brutally murdered him and his wife. Carried their bodies away drove off and dumped their bodies into a big river and their bodies have never been recovered. They've probably been eaten by crocodiles 
We've never been able to give them the Christian burial. And these things happen, and the power of witchcraft is so very real. The poison cup, the poison meal is still being used. In our own village, people die because the diviner has accused them of witchcraft. They deny it. So he says, right, I'm going to cook you a poison meal. If you eat it and live, you're not guilty. And they die a very painful death. And so these things, such as the power of witchcraft, are very real and evident. They're not supposed... Why do people suddenly die? Suddenly. Satanic power is real. Now I don't know what you think about Halloween here in the United States of America, but I guess it's coming up for Halloween time. And I want to tell you this, the spirit world and all that is associated with Halloween is demonic. And I don't think it's anything a Christian should be involved in. And if you could spend a month in Africa with me and see the fear and the bondage people live in as a result of the spirit world, I think you would come home a changed person. And all those ghoulish masks, the lanterns, and all the appearance that is dressed up as fun, in Africa, it's fearful bondage for countless millions. The spirit world, satanic. And over the years of 40 years of war, witchcraft hasn't gone backwards. It's developed, it's gained ground, it's one territory. And Christians are living in the fear of it. And so our, one of our elders in the assembly murdered in cold blood. You say, well, why didn't any, any of the other Christians in the assembly go back and stay with him and, and look after this brother and his wife in their hour of need? Everybody knew what was coming. And they could hear his screams, but nobody would go to his assistance and care and show compassion for him in his hour of need. The fear of witchcraft is something which perhaps you cannot comprehend in your mind, but there are millions, including Christians, who still today do not enjoy the reality of a triumphant Christian life, free from that bondage. So please pray that we will see a, a mighty work of God yet again in uh, this issue when we're trying to battle with the forces of witchcraft. They are very, very real. We have on our former mission station, I'll say former because we had 20 mission stations in Angola before the war. I begin to sound like a very old man when I say during the war and before the war, but it is so recent we can say that. But nowadays we have no functioning mission stations. And we believe that is God in his sovereignty removing these legacies of colonial power and local autonomous assemblies establishing 
being founded, growing and developing without these power bases, or which are often seen as power bases by the white missionary. And so, at Kamundumbala, where we live, one of our elders has been taken in such a dramatic, awful way. But we have these 55 houses uh, on this old mission station which we use for the leper work. And we've got lepers. We have lepers who've been saved, baptised and are in fellowship with us. And I'll tell you, it's something very moving, taking the emblems from a leper whose hands have been eaten away with leprosy and you share from the same cup as a leper and you eat from the same loaf as a leper. Tremendous, to, to, tremendous experience to see the Lord at work in these ways. And we have these little homes which we are increasingly having to give to widows and their families as their husbands, many of whom are elders in local assemblies, have been persecuted through witchcraft and they have fled their homes because their husbands have been murdered in such a way as I've already described as Luciano's death. And uh, we are able to give refuge to so many people. But please try and now think of the, uh, the knock-on effect to the local assembly, to the testimony. If you've got an elder in your assembly who has confessed to being involved in witchcraft, was he? Did he ever do it? I don't know. The Africans say he must have done because so many countless thousands of Christians have gone to their deaths, painful, cruel deaths, denying that they were involved in witchcraft and have rather given their throats to be slit or to drink the poison cup than to deny the name of Christ. But this dear man, under torture he confessed. Now what would you do under torture? What would I do under torture? We cannot judge this dear man. We know the Lord knows those that are his. But think now of the response in the assembly. Elders who are remaining weak and frightened. But we're thankful to the Lord for young men who in the assembly who've gone through Bible class are now standing up to the plate as it were and getting to grips and, and, and taking responsibility in the assembly. And so through awful tragedy in the assembly we have seen a new younger generation of Christians whom the Lord has been preparing the last 10-15 years now moving into positions of uh, authority in the assembly and are able to um, carry the assembly on through these traumatic times. And that's been so encouraging to see. The fruit of labours 10-15 years ago we're now beginning to see in the local assembly. But of course you try and imagine the effect, knock-on effect, to gospel testimony. Non-Christians, the unbelievers would say, why on earth should I go to that church if one of the elders has confessed to being involved in witchcraft? And so that is a problem. And we're having to get back out, speaking to the people, talking to the people, and, in, and trying to um, break down barriers once again. Now over the years in Angola, um, we have had very little fellowship with other missionaries because there's been none. Somebody asked me the other day, who are the other missionaries in Angola? Well, Ruth Hadley is, I've already mentioned, doing a tremendous work there. And we prayed and prayed to the Lord that he would send us out fresh missionaries and none have come from the, what I'm pleased to say is still the United Kingdom. And uh, he has sent us, in his wisdom, 
two Canadian couples, Samuel and Elizabeth, Elizabeth Simonyi Jindale, and now now living on an old mission station, abandoned mission station, about three hours away from us. And they've been in Portugal and learned the Portuguese language, um, and they're now trying to learn Chokwi. They have five children, and they're in the bush, and try and put seven meals on the table, three times a day, it's quite a thing, homeschooling the children. And they need your prayers as they settle in, and I'm longing for the day when I will have another male missionary to preach with, and to share the issues and the burdens with. We, for so many years, have ploughed a very lonely furrow, and we're looking forward to the day when we will have fresh helpers. And so Sam and Elizabeth would value your prayers. And then, from the same assembly in Fredericktown, uh, New Brunswick, Joel and Kaylee Griffin, and their three little children hope to come to Angola in June of next year. And they've been in Portugal learning the Portuguese language. And we're thankful to God that both these brothers have a desire in their hearts to, to go and to preach and to teach the Word of God. That is what we need in Angola today. The foundation has been laid by those early missionaries. And it's a vast foundation. But we're now building on those foundations and there's a great amount of work to be done. I am not talking about Bible teaching on the intricacies of the red heifer and the tabernacle. Talking about simple Bible truths of salvation, of repentance. Truths that perhaps you remember in Sunday school days. Truths perhaps that you're familiar with in your local assembly. These are truths which are unheard of, unknown in Angola. And there are countless thousands who are just waiting to drink up the word of God and respond to it. So please pray that the Lord will continue to bless his word. Again, if you would like to take one of these cards away, they're at the back of the hall. Please pray for Angola, that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. Thank you.